This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, you guys. Another Sunday, another psalm. We are in the psalms this summer, and you'll be reminded that the psalms are like the ancient songbook of Israel. They were meant to be sung, and the lyrics of these psalms are meant to kind of shape our inner lives. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 90. So uh, take time to find that in your bulletins or in your Bible app. I want to begin by, um, y'all know John Mayer, right? The, the kind of eccentric music artist. I know he's a little weird, but I love his music. And like summers are for like John Mayer on my playlist. Well, he writes this one song called Stop This Train. And it's about growing older and moving towards death. I want to just begin by reading a portion of the lyrics of the song by John Mayer. He says, stop this train. I want to get off and go home again. I can't take the speed it's moving in. I know I can't, but honestly, won't someone stop this train? So scared of getting older. I'm only good at being young. And so I play the numbers game to find a way to say that life has just begun. Had a talk with my old man, said, help me understand. And he said, turn 68, you'll renegotiate. Don't stop this train. Don't for a minute change the place you're in. And don't think I could ever understand. I tried my hand, John, honestly, will never stop this train. Well, what's behind those lyrics? It's this anxiety, right, about death, growing older. You know, as a pastor, I am present with you guys in some of the most important, significant moments in your life, uh, with the birth of a child, I'm with you, a baptism, uh, a wedding, I'm there with you. But there's also a part of my job where I'm also with you in some of the hardest parts of your life, in hospitals, when you're suffering, and when there's a funeral, you call my, my phone. And you can't leave these moments with a little, without doing a gut check, with this time of introspection. You know, a few years ago, my son turned 13 years old, and I wanted to do something special for his 13th birthday, so I planned out this, like, um, this, we got our bikes, and we biked all through old San Juan for, like, hours and hours, had a great time. But I timed it out so that when we finished, we'd, we'd end right at his favorite restaurant, this burger joint. And waiting for him were these six young adults, these six guys. See, these guys that Micah looks up to, these, these young men who love my son. And so we sat around, and these guys, we went around the table, and each guy did two things. First, they spoke words of affirmation over my son, right? They, they, they just said, hey, I like the man you're becoming. You belong, right? And they also gave, them, gave him wisdom, like, hey, listen, you're moving in. You're a man. You belong. It's like kind of a coming of age. You belong. But... This next season, there's going to be some bumps in the road, and, and they shared with him. And I, I hope, and I think it was, it was a really significant moment, a significant birthday for my son, Michael, one that he would remember. But let me tell you what happened to me. Micah's 13th birthday was significant for me because I left the party thinking, this train is moving fast. My baby boy has become a man. How did I get here? Am I doing this right? 
My, uh, my wife, Amanda, suggested that we get this jar and we fill it with 156 marbles. And each marble represents a week. And so as every week passes, we take one marble out of the jar and it slowly goes. And, and you see it slowly moving down until they're all gone. And when it's all gone, my son will leave the refuge of our home and become his own man. And you can just see every week the jar is going down and down. It makes you count the days, doesn't it? How am I spending my days? How am I spending my life? Am I living a life that's worth living? Well, the context of Psalm 90 is Moses, to our knowledge. This is the only psalm that Moses wrote. Moses is at the end of his life, and he's seen some things, hasn't he? Like, he's seen some things, you know, coming out of Egypt, all the shenanigans in the desert. And he's at the end of his life, and his feet are in the sand of the Sinai Desert, and he can see the promised land. He can't go in, right? Some consequences, some choices that he made. And he's, uh, you can see this restlessness in the spirit of Moses. And I think that you and I can relate to this restlessness you felt it, haven't you? This restlessness in your spirit. Where do we get wisdom to know how to live this life well so that it doesn't feel like a waste? How can we live so that we're not bothered by the fact that the train is not going to stop? I think Moses is going to help us with the lyrics of this song, Psalm 90. And so the logic of the psalm is going to, we're going to discover kind of two things together. First, Moses is going to help us have big thoughts about God. Well, that's going to be verses one through four. And Moses is going to help us to have honest thoughts about ourselves, verses five through 12. So big thoughts about God and then honest thoughts about ourselves. And so let's dive into this text together. If you are willing and able, would you please stand in reverence to God's word? And let's give careful attention to Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. Like the grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Amen. You may be seated. So Moses, uh, the author, he had one of the most interesting encounters with God, an encounter with God that you and I probably will never have. But he's walking around in the desert, and he sees this bush that's on fire, but the bush is not being burned up. So he's like, I got to check this out. He moves forward. And there is like this manifestation of God, a theophany of God. And God has work for Moses to do. And so he gives them some marching orders. And as he's about to leave, Moses stopped and he says, um, but who are you? Like, like the guys are going to ask me who's telling us to do this. What, what do I say to them? Wh- whose name do I give? What is your name? Now, a name is an interesting thing because every person and everything is named. But the thing naming you has, it precedes you. But what happens to God if, you, if you're not preceded? No one names God, right? No one names him. So he says, if they ask, this is what you tell them. You want to know who I am? I am who I am. (laughs) I am. The name Yahweh, that tetragrammaton in the Hebrew, it just, it's not a spoken word, but it just means I am. It's this unspoken name. God was not named because he was not created. Before existence, God was. And in fact, Moses, who tells us in Genesis 1, takes very, he's very careful to say, in the beginning was God, and God created the heavens and the earth, right? There is no account of God being created. It just starts that way. And I think this really shaped Moses' imagination, and he had really big thoughts about God, right? So, like, for instance, in verse 2, Moses is trying to think about the oldest thing he could possibly think of. Like, you see this old oak, this old tree, and it's old. But, you know, you can imagine that tree a long time ago being a little seed, a little sapling, right? He needs something older. So, he sees, like, the mountains. He's like, there's no seed that formed that mountain. The mountain is old. It's rock. It's as old as the earth itself. And he says, yep, that is temporal. Look there, verse 2. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Can we just kind of sit in that for one second? Most people have such a small view of God, and, and this is why our hearts are really riddled with doubt, or we just don't take God that seriously. God is, is kind of like our mascot for the culture we grew up in, Right? We don't have big thoughts about God, but let me suggest that the bigger your thoughts are about God, the closer you are to actually knowing him for who he is, from everlasting to everlasting. Like verse 4, he says, listen, like a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday. It's like, it's like nothing, right? Now, by saying that, Moses is, is saying actually something much more profound about the eternality of God. Right? He's not simply saying that God is so old that a thousand years is comparatively a short amount of time. That's not what he's doing. He's saying something really profound. 
It means that God has no beginning and no end. To say that God has always existed is to say that God is not subject to the limitation of time. He does not abide or reside in the succession of moments, right? He's infinite. He is unrestricted in relationship to time. Time is God's plaything, right? He created it. There's this guy, this Dutch theologian, his name's Herman Bavink. We had to translate his work. But he says this. He says, God is the eternal I am, who is eternal without beginning or end, not subject to counting in his duration. God's eternity is not static or immobile. It is the fullness of his being. His infinitude means that he is present and imminent in every moment of time. In fact, God pervades time and every moment of time with his eternity. He maintains a definite relationship to time, but he enters into it with his eternity. Now listen, God can be known, but God cannot be fathomed. God can be known. You can know him. But he cannot be comprehended. God is eternal, which means he is outside of time. He determines its beginning and end, and he is never bound by time. Now, this is like really abstract, right? This is hard for us to understand, right? Because we, we live based on seconds and minutes and hours, and we understand our lives based on passing seasons, right? We, we all, we have a past. We're living in the present. And, there, and there's this future that, future that is veiled to us. But for God, and hear this, every single moment in time is immediately present to him in this moment. What? Like, like let me say that again in case you didn't hear it. Every single moment in time, past, present, and future, is immediately present to him and in this moment. Simultaneously, God is the God of past, present, and future. From everlasting to everlasting, he is who he is. He is this infinitude. He's not subject to it. Like, let that just sink in. Like, what? And let it awaken and stir your heart. Because I want you to have big thoughts about God. Because how do these big thoughts help us to live lives that are valuable. A few semesters ago, the women's Bible study, they read uh, Jen Wilkins, None Like Him, and she is so helpful. I really borrowed from her. She says this. She says, the Bible begins with a timestamp in the beginning, and then it spends 66 books describing the God who decrees seasons and times, but is not bound by them in the least. Free to act within time as he wills, he exists outside of it. He is simultaneously the God of the past, present, and future, bending time to his perfect will, unfettered by its constraints. Listen to this. The past holds for him no missed opportunities. The present holds for him no anxiety. The future holds for him no uncertainty. He was and is and is to come. Just sit and marvel at that for just a second. Because if you could believe that about God, it would help you to live a fuller life right now. 
The past holds no missed opportunities. The present, no anxiety. The future, no uncertainty. The past, like some of you guys, you, you have these moments, these regrets, these things left undone, or maybe these shame, shameful things in the past, and they paralyze you, right? It still afflicts you. Your past casts a long shadow into your present life, and, it, and it's crippling you even now. It makes us live with this discontentment, right? Or some of you, maybe it's not a bad thing, it's the good old days. You, you like your past, and you want to get back to that moment. And so this present moment just feels, dis, you're discontent. And you're forfeiting this present moment because you want to get back to the good old days. The future, the future is just as problematic, right? You're anxiously awaiting for that future event to happen because if it just happens, you can start living your life, right? Just getting that job. Or you're getting that right, you're waiting for that assignment in the right location so that you can finally be happy, right? That financial, you're, you're waiting to hit that financial benchmark, you're waiting to get into the right university. Or some of you just worry about the future. Will my children walk with the Lord their whole lives? Will my health fail me? Will I get married and will I have kids? And then even our present. Am I enough? Am I good enough? How do I measure up to my neighbors in this moment? The past and the present and the future can rob you of a meaningful life, but this psalm wants to level you by giving you big thoughts about God. It wants to bring you back to the Lord. You can trust the Lord, the one who is past, present, and future. All of that is immediately present to him right in every moment. And so we can ask, Will you let go of the past? Will you not let it haunt you anymore because God is past? And can you offer your future to the Lord? Because the Lord is the future and controls it. And can you trust him right now? Like right now and live in it. If the meaningful life that you are looking for hinges upon something in the past, the present, or the future, then your joy will fade with the passing seasons. But what if you just drop your anchor into something that's infinite? What if you drop your anchor into the divine life who is from everlasting to everlasting? Then it's, then certainty's gone. Can you see how big thoughts about God are actually vital for living a full life now? Can y'all see how that's a start? So that's how Moses begins in verses 1 through 4, inviting us to have big thoughts about God. Now let's move to the second part. Now we, we're, Moses is going to give us honest thoughts about ourselves, and this is what we kind of see in verses uh, 5 through 12. Now, you guys know that um, my mother, right, I've told you guys this before, she grew up in the Pueblitos of Mexico, and so each summer, my parents would take us to visit our grandparents, uh, and they were, my grandparents are, they, they're rural, very poor, very humble. They, I could remember watching my grandmother wash clothes with a washing board, like, 
My children don't even know what that is, right? Uh, and where they lived, there were uh, no butcher shops and no Walmart. And so if you wanted to eat meat, right, then, then you had to butcher the animal yourself. That's how it works. So in my life, I've seen my grandfather slaughter dozens and dozens of goats. And he's actually, it felt like he was so good at it. He could do it without even spilling a, you know, a drop of blood or so it seemed to me. Now, before my uh, grandfather would slaughter the goats, he would let the kids play with these goats. And I don't know if you've ever played with a baby goat, but they're so cute, and they're so nice, and so much fun. But we knew where our dinner came from. We knew the price that that goat had to pay in order for us to eat dinner that night. So the Garcia kids were never ignorant about death. We knew about death at a very young age. Now, that was a really interesting experience for me because I grew up in Houston with most of my friends didn't have those experiences. I could remember when I was about, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old, one day I was with my friend and he looks at his sandwich and he realizes that the ham in his ham sandwich didn't come from a tree, right? Something had to die. And maybe you learned it from a documentary or something, I don't know, but this reality coupled with, I don't know, the hormones of puberty and adolescence was just too much. And so uh, what happens to people like this? In this case, naturally, he becomes a vegetarian, (laughs) right? I mean, being confronted with death at every meal was just too much for him. It's too much for him to process. Well, I share that as um, I think it's actually representative of a phenomena that's happening really at our culture at large. As a society, we are very insulated from death. We avoid thinking about it, we willingly ignore it, or we're trying to overcome it. You guys, the anti-aging industry is a $250 billion industry a year. But here's the deal. Call off the search for the fountain of youth. You can't outrun death. The train is not going to stop. And in fact, it is foolish for us to live without reference to our own death. In fact, it's foolish. And Moses wants us to have honest thoughts, vulnerable thoughts about ourselves. But be warned, this section of the psalm is like, you know, the the captain of the airplane getting on the PA saying, hey, uh, I turned on the Fasten seatbelt light, stay in your seats because we're going to go through some turbulence. That's what this next section provides for us. But listen, Moses is trying to lovingly sober us up to reality. He wounds us with the lyrics of this song in order to heal us, that we would live wisely. And we see that principally in verses 5 through 12. And we see like this, he uses a series of metaphors and similes to help us feel the brevity of life. Look there at verse 5. It's like, he says, our life is like swept away like a flash flood, right? You see that? Or he, like a dream, you know, just, it's gone. Verse 6, like grass in the morning, right? We pop up and then we fade and wither away the, the same day. Look there in verse 9, he, it's like a sigh, like this short breath. So it's just like this vapor, it's gone. You know, in verse 10, he's like, if conditions are good, You'll live 70 years. And if things really work out for you, maybe you'll get 80, right? But then it's over. Isn't that something? For like 3,000 years, the life expectancy hasn't changed much. Not much. Even with all of our 
technology because you can't stop the train. You can't wiggle out of this. Do you feel the sting of it? Do you feel the sorrow of this reality? We don't have a ton of time. And death is unpredictable. It's this unwelcome guest. And it's not just the elderly and the sick whom it visits. I'm so sad to have done funerals of my peers and the children of my peers. And to make matters worse, Moses tells us that we are all under judgment. Look there, verse 7. He says, we are brought to an end by your anger. We don't live forever, even though it feels like eternity is on our hearts, that we're stamped with eternity because we have forfeited it by our rebellion. Verse 9, our days pass away under your wrath. Can I just say that um, if you don't believe in God or if you've logged on and you just stumbled upon this, uh, this uh, po- podcast, I guess, or this streaming um, thank you for listening in to how Christians talk to each other, right? And I, I hope you feel welcomed in our congregation. I hope you feel loved and, and not judged. I hope this is a safe place for us to explore Jesus. But what I want to invite you to is to, at least if you don't believe in God, at least be uh, vulnerable and honest about the restlessness in your soul that everyone has in your spirit no matter how much money you have in the bank, how many cars you have, degrees, how many vacations you've got on, you ever notice nothing ever satisfies. And that lack of satisfaction, it begins to deform us. And we get mad at our spouses and we get mad at our kids, right? We get mad at the stock market. We get mad at the club manager who doesn't make your mixed drink right, right? Like, like why are we so mad? Because they are not fixing it. We need them to fix it. We need them to make this restlessness go away. Can you be honest about that? No more hiding. No more denying it. No more numbing it. No more running. Why is Moses wounding us with these ideas? And here's why. It's because it is not a kind thing to let us live our whole lives only to arrive at the end and to not understand that we are under judgment, both in this life and in the next. It's not a kind thing. And so the first step towards this and understanding this and living a meaningful life, we actually see in verse 12. Look there at verse 12. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom now listen, what, what Moses is, he isn't saying try to count and guess the number of days you have on this planet. That's not what he's trying to say. He's saying live each day with a meaningful referent to God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And if you do, if you live your life in referent to him, you will live wisely. Wisdom is the skill of living a godly life, a meaningful life. It's, it's the skill of seeing reality because it's real. Now, what could this be like? What could this be like? If, you're, uh, if your days are limited, as they are, 
the question you have is, are you spending your days or are you investing your days in eternal things? Like, are you spending your days and like, just trying to spend all your money, trying to make it run out right at the end, time it out, right? Is that what you're trying to do? So you hit zero the day you die? Or are you making deposits into a future that will be established forever? Two years ago, I went to a Faith at Work Summit in Chicago, and there was a gentleman who began the whole conference with a testimony. He started this production company. He became wildly successful. It was incredibly profitable. At the very top of it, he sold it to a Fortune 500 company, built his dream house, bought his dream car, bought his dream boat. He created these amazing trust funds for everyone he loves. So they're taken care of, and their children are taken care of, their children. I'm seeing like infinite amount of money. And then he bought another house, and instead of changing the oil in his car, he bought another one, right? He kept going on vacation, upon vacation, until he's just bored. He kept eating at the nicest restaurants. I mean, $900 sushi, and he knows the sushi's not worth $900, but he just doesn't know how to spend his money, right? He's just, it's not even putting a dent He's like, I don't know. I don't know what else to do with this, right? And then what he realizes, what he has, and he had everything, just didn't satisfy. It reminds me of the words of Marie Antoinette. She says, nothing tastes. Nothing tastes. Spending his life instead of investing, he had no imagination of what he could be a part of. He had no imagination for it. He felt the days pass. He felt the restlessness. That's the judgment. That restlessness is the judgment that we are under. And then one day, his friend shared the gospel with him. And when I say share the gospel, let me tell you, he wasn't just saying, Jesus wants to make you a nice person. Jesus just wants to make you a good person. No, 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 no. This man told him the full gospel of how Jesus wants to connect this man and all that he is to eternal things, his entire life to eternal things. What if we believed that the God who numbers our days was right and intentional about taking a portion of those days and putting you right here, right now? What if it was God's idea, the one who numbers your days, took a portion of those days and put you right here because he wanted you to connect your life, your family, your work to what God is doing here right now, even in Puerto Rico. What if, what if we stopped spending our lives and we started investing our lives? I mean, what if Trinity, what if this you know, ragtag bunch of believers, the, best, the messy lot of us, right? What if we begin... To, to give ourselves away such that Trinity was known as being a church for being so big-hearted, right? Where we just generously pour ourselves out in our resources so that others could connect their lives to meaningful and eternal things. What if we had a faith and work center that we created, Right? helping others to connect their daily lives to the social, educational, and economic renewal of Puerto Rico, establishing things that will last even into eternity? 
What if we partnered with and helped establish other Puerto Rican churches who believe the same thing? That not just churches who create this museum for the self-righteous, right? A country club for the self-righteous, but, but churches who understood had this vision and reach of the gospel. And we helped them such that the whole landscape of Puerto Rico was renewed. We wouldn't be here complaining about what's broken, but we'd be celebrating what's been fixed by gospel renewal through helpful, church, godly churches. What if we stopped spending and we started investing? This is the beginning of counting our days that we might have a, wis- a heart of wisdom. That is the beginning. So Moses wants us to live significant lives, meaningful lives, but we can't get there until we have big thoughts about God and then honest thoughts about ourselves. Big thoughts about God, verses 1 through 4, honest thoughts about ourselves, verses 5 through 12. Now this last section, verses 13 through 17, is I don't have time to do this because I've run out of time. I'm not going to work through it. But if I could just summarize this last section, it's just this plea for a reversal of the section before. So if verses 5 through 12 demonstrates the irretractable brief movement from death or from life to death, like a plant that blossoms and then withers, like from life to dust, then what verses 13 through 17 is this pleading to God to reverse that trend. Like make that not true. From God taking ordinary things and then establishing them forever. Not just dust, but establish them forever to give us then this soul satisfaction. Satisfy us, Lord. But how could this possibly happen? And I I will finish with this. How can this judgment be reversed? If God has set our iniquities before him, if our secret sins are in the light of his presence, how could this possibly happen? How can this judgment and this misery and this restlessness be fixed? And here's what I want you to hear, is that by telling us about the infinite nature of God, it's not that Moses is contrasting the infinite nature of God to the finite nature of man. The infinite nature of God is the solution to the finite nature of man. And let me make this case, and this is where we're going to finish. In verse 1, Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place for all generations, from everlasting to everlasting. All generations. Y'all hear that? All generations, past, present, future. The ones that he can see on the horizon. How? All past, present, and future is present to God. In every moment. God is from everlasting to everlasting. Now remember the gospel, you guys. Listen to the gospel. The everlasting God took on human nature without forfeiting his divinity. The infinite God humbly took on finite nature without losing his infinitude. Being clothed in humanity, the infinite God allowed himself to be bound and constrained by time to accomplish for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves in a million years. Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived, right? He was the good person that we should have been. 
but then he also died the death that we deserved in our place as our substitute. And because the infinite and the finite is perfectly at home in Jesus, when he is nailed to a cross, he is dying for your past sins, for your present sins, for your future sins. All the judgment that we feel is laid on him, past, present, and future. And when Jesus died for you, he did it knowing that you would waffle. He knew that you would blow it. He could see into the future, a future you don't even know, and know how unfaithful you would be. And he died knowing it. He wasn't caught by surprise. He knew that our sins were right in front of his face. And even though he knew it, knew it, he died for us anyway. Why? For love. This infinite, everlasting God. This ought to just make us like throw up our hands in gratitude. This is, if this is true, if what I'm saying is true, why wouldn't you count your days and live every single moment in referent to the everlasting God in Christ Jesus. This is the train of unconditional love. Get on that train. Amen. Amen.